my friends. Thank you, Lloyd, for being our reader this week. Um, I really was not feeling this passage this week, to be honest, as as evidenced by uh, filming this, you know, late Friday night in my uh, bedroom instead of Thursday in church. I actually just got kicked out of a 24-hour Denny's because they were so short-staffed they decided to shut down, which is the perfect uh, illustration to uh, the message that's coming up. And actually, uh, my my laundry in the background is not a bad illustration either, although it'd be better if it wasn't folded. But anyways, this scripture passage, um, I love the name Tabitha, love the name Dorcas even more, but I I really got stuck on that one phrase that Peter says, Tabitha, get up. And just, especially after everything that's happened in the world this week, I my reaction to that was like, hey, don't tell her what to do. Leave her alone. Maybe she doesn't want to get up. Maybe she wants to rest. And I'll admit I was kind of conflating this story in my mind with another resurrection story where Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, she's sick in bed with fever. Jesus touches her hand, heals her, and immediately it says she got up and started cooking for them. Like, what? She's been confined to her bed for who knows how long she's finally on the mend? Like, you get her something to eat. And there's actually there's actually quite a few resurrection stories in the Bible. The prophet Elijah brings back the son of the widow of Zarephath. Um, the prophet Elisha heals the baby of a Shumanite family. Um, Jesus resurrects three people, the son of the widow of Nain, the daughter of Jairus, Lazarus. Um, and in all of these resurrection stories, they're all pretty similar. Um, the one standout might be the story of Eutychus, who um, he falls asleep while sitting on a third story window ledge listening to Paul preach. And when he falls asleep, he falls out of the window to his death and Paul runs out and resurrects him. Which, by the way, if any of you ever get injured because you're sleeping during my sermon, there is no way I'm bringing you back, just so you know. But the rest of the resurrection stories, they're all very formulaic. Like they all involve touch. They all use similar wording. So in Peter's defense, that phrase, get up, it's not like a patriarchal command. It's like an incantation, the same wording in many of those stories. Um, And in all of them, the coming back to life is immediate and absolute. There's no recovery period. They immediately go back to whatever they had been doing. And and I get it. Like, I get that the point is to emphasize the dramatic effectiveness of what just happened, the authority of these prophets to raise the dead, the power of God over death. I get that. But that that is just not the kind of resurrection that I need right now. And which where we're at right now with covid in our world i i just feel a great weariness and not for everyone but for a lot of us so many people are just exhausted worn down burned out like we rallied hard to make it through the arrival of covid right we rallied but it just kept going and going and 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 even as things are starting to feel easier and more more normal. It's like all the stress and uncertainty and conflict of the last few years, it's finally catching up with us. And everyone is short-staffed, teachers, food service workers, anyone in the medical field. It's like we're all burning out all at the same time. And so I was writing this at Denny's, right? And, and 
there was one server covering the entire restaurant, the entire restaurant. Oh my goodness. She was like so harried there. A new poll came out showing that over half of teachers are thinking of leaving the field. I, I just talked to a member who she just got home after a stay in a, in a rehab place and assisted living. And she said she had to wait like 30 minutes to have someone come take her to the bathroom. And on one of the last nights when her aide finally appeared, she looked so tired that this person said, you know what? What, why don't you just sit down and rest for a second? Like I can make it on my own. And you know what the aide did? They burst into tears. They burst into tears. They said, I'm covering 16 patients all by myself. There's no one here to help me. And like, let's not get bogged down trying to figure out why this is or whose fault this is or anything like that. But just acknowledge the moment we are in right now is a hard one for many, many people. And having acknowledged this, uh, this like global exhaustion, there are, of course, all of these economists and leadership gurus and managers and policymakers and influencers, everyone's at work pumping out recommendations for how to kind of tackle this situation. And in many ways, it feels like the world is responding by telling us to clench our fists, double down and try harder, work harder, push harder. And that strategy is not working. So what is our role in this moment as people of faith? How can we be different? What can we offer the world? What wisdom, what hope does our faith give us for a time such as this? Because I think in some ways we, we are uniquely positioned to lead right now. But I'm not sure it's with this story, this Tabitha story, as miraculous and instantaneous as her resurrection is, it, like, it almost feels too easy to be real especially because part of what is hard right now is that it feels like it shouldn't be hard. Like I know COVID's not over, but we've made it from pandemic to endemic. And when you think about what we've been through compared to where we are, like, why aren't things easier? Why aren't we over this? Why don't we feel resurrected yet? Usually what we do, right, is we take a Bible text and we use it to help us make sense of our lives. But sometimes we need to take our lives and use them to make sense of the text. And for me, this was one of those weeks. You know why? Because it's Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day. And all of this reminds me so much of when I became a mom. And the parts that I thought would be hardest were the easiest. And the parts that I would thought would be the easiest were by far the hardest. Like labor. We had taken a birth class that talked about the different stages of labor and going in, I was most afraid of that final stage, like the part where you actually push the baby out because um, that's supposed to be the hardest and the most intense. But for me, that was like the easiest part because for all the long hours of contractions leading up to that, it was like I had to will myself to keep doing endure one more and one more and one more and and even in the breaks in between it was so hard because you knew another one was coming and you had to just brace yourself and do it again and again and again but that final stage it was like my body just took over I did not have to will myself to do anything I just had to like trust it sink into it and let my body do its thing and once I like surrendered to that process there she was there was my Alice Clocking in at a whopping nine pounds, three ounces, and I was a parent. And then, after labor, 
when you get to actually take the baby home, I thought that was going to be the easiest part. Like you've done the thing. Now you get to go home and enjoy your sweet baby and do little snuggles in between doing all of the things on the huge long list you made of things to accomplish during that very super long vacation known as maternity leave. Thankfully, there's starting to be more attention given to mom's care after birth, and they've actually coined a new term for the first three months with a new baby. They call it the fourth trimester, as in you spend three minutes, not or three trimesters, nine months growing this baby. But like, first of all, human babies are born super underdeveloped compared to other mammals. They need another three months just to adjust to life outside the womb. And unlike Tabitha, Motherhood really doesn't happen overnight, especially with that first baby. You need those first three months to recover from what you've been through, grieve the you that you've lost, and then grow into this whole new identity. So friends, this is where we are right now. We are all collectively new parents in the fourth trimester of the COVID world, right? Because we did it. We burst, we birthed a post-COVID world. It's like, and now it's like someone just handed us this thing and said, congratulations, you're on your own now. Good luck. And so here we are, parents of this newly born age that has never been before. We don't really know who it is, how it will work, what exactly it will require of us. And no matter how many books we read or supplies we got, it just takes time to figure things like that out. And on top of all that, on top of how new everything is, it took everything we had just to get to this point. So not only do we have to figure out life with this new being, how to care for it and raise it, but we are completely exhausted, depleted, still with open wounds, bleeding from the experience we just got through. So happy Mother's Day to all of us. Hey. Before I had Alice, my mom gave me this handout. She used to teach birth classes. This handout entitled, A Guide to the Tender Loving Care of Yourself After Birth. And (laughs) when she gave me this paper, I rolled my eyes so hard because, seriously? But dang it, if that wasn't the most brilliant sheet of paper I have ever naively tossed into the recycling. So now fellow new co-parents of this new age, how do we take tender loving care of ourselves and our world right now? So we learn from the lessons of labor. You don't need to will yourself to resurrection, friends. You in fact cannot resurrect yourself. It's not a matter of willpower. It is a matter of grace. Our job is just to surrender, to trust ourselves, trust our body, trust the process, and trust God. And we learn from the lessons of becoming a mother, a parent. Um, The aftermath of birthing new life is sometimes harder than the birth itself. So accept that, expect that, and cut yourself and everyone else just a ton of slack. And we learn from our faith, at the core of which is the story of Easter with its promise of resurrection. So I am glad we have all these resurrection stories. I'm glad we have Tabitha and Elijah and Elisha and the widow and the baby and the 12-year-old and Lazarus and Eutychus. They're my reminder that resurrection 
even from a situation like this, it's not only possible, it's inevitable. The life God gives us is stronger than death. And when we are down, a hand will reach out and will raise us back up to our feet. But more than all of those stories, more than Tabitha for sure, I look to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a transformation from death to life that changed the world so utterly, so completely and forever, but it did not happen instantaneously or even overnight. It was not easy or obvious. After his resurrection, it took a while for people to even recognize him, recognize what had happened. And it took even longer for them to realize what this meant. And when the newly resurrected Jesus came and came back to show himself alive to his beat up and burned out disciples, he didn't say, get up. He said, here, let me cook you breakfast. So you know what this means, right? This means in our own lives and in our world, we might right now already have been resurrected in ways we just haven't even realized yet. And this is why we have not just an Easter day, but an Easter season, seven weeks, a whole week of Sundays. Not because that's how long it takes God to resurrect us, because that is how long it takes us at a minimum to realize what has just happened and learn to live into our new identity. This Easter season, this is the fourth trimester for our souls. So my friends, if you are weary this day, take heart. Our resurrected God is resurrecting us. Surrender, trust, accept, expect, and just see what God can do in you and in your life in a week of Sundays. Amen. Our hymn of the day. We come to you for healing, Lord. Let's sing.